1: So for new people, uh, I'm
2: Taigen Layton, the uh, guiding teacher at Ancient Dragon Zen Gate. I will speak this morning about uh, Suzuki Roshi, our founder in America, and the Bodhisattva precepts. So in the Soto lineage, founded in Japan by Ehe Dogen, Uh, A number of teachers seem to have uh, emphasized uh, later in their careers the Bodhisattva precepts, um, the uh, 16 Bodhisattva precepts that uh, were uh, initiated by Ehe Dogen in the 13th century. Um, I've talked about this in terms of uh, Dogen himself, um, I spoke in July about uh, a couple of times about the Fox Koan, which is a place where we can see Dogen uh, later on in his career emphasizing ethics and cause and effect and emphasizing the precepts. So, in some uh, ways, this is the one uh, issue in uh, Dogen's teaching where he actually. Um, changed his viewpoint in, in significant ways um, and uh, emphasized ethics and cause and effects later in his teaching. Uh, also, my teacher, uh, Tenshin Anderson Roshi, um, We might say this, off, I started studying with him in 1978 when I moved to San Francisco after several years of studying with a Japanese Soto teacher in New York City. Uh, and when I first started uh, studying with uh, Tenshin Reb. Um, He was teaching about Dogen and Koans and Abhidharma, which was very useful. And um, yet in more recent years, he's emphasized precepts. Uh, His book, Being Upright, is on the 16 precepts, uh, is one that I ask all of uh, uh, Ancient Dragon students who um, are going to Take lay ordination and take precepts with me to read, so uh, maybe I should mention now the sixteen precepts in our just uh, briefly the sixteen precepts in in uh, Soto Zen. so the first three are taking refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. then the next three are uh, embracing and sustaining. Uh, all good, sometimes it's translated, or rights and right conduct, or some sometimes Reb says rights and conduct, uh, ritual and conduct. Then the second one is, uh, is uh, avoiding all evil. The third one is including all beings, embracing and sustaining all beings, which I think is very important in terms of the Bodhisattva precepts, the precepts of all awakening beings. And then there's ten grave precepts, which sound a little bit like the Ten Commandments, but they're very different. They're not, thou shalt not. They're just guidelines to how to express Buddha in everyday life. So uh, a disciple of buddha the way we say them, a disciple of Buddha does not kill. A disciple of Buddha does not take what is not given. A disciple of Buddha does not lie. A disciple of Buddha does not misuse sexuality. Disciple of Buddha does not intoxicate mind or body of self and others. Uh, Disciple of Buddha does not praise self at the expense of others. Disciple of Buddha does not slander or does not speak of the faults of others. Disciple of Buddha is not possessive of anything. Disciple of Buddha does not harbor ill will, so does not turn anger into hatred, we can say. And then a disciple of Buddha does not disparage the three treasures of Buddha Dharma Sangha. So each one of those ten is um, actually a koan in itself, a, a complicated um, guideline to how to express Sazen mind or Buddha mind in the world. Um, so as I said, um, Dogen himself and and I think Tension uh, also um, uh, started to emphasize these precepts more later on in their teaching careers and i would say myself that in my own teaching earlier on in my sanghas in california i talked more about sutras koans dogen bodhisattva practices more recently uh since i've come to chicago i i talked more about uh these precepts and uh and bodhisattva values, as well as precepts, and, and applying them to social issues that, that we face in the world around us, but also how to express our practice in our everyday activities in the world. So both aspects are important in terms of the bodhisattva values and bodhisattva precepts. Um, so this week, uh, I attended for two days uh, this Soto Zen Buddhist Association SCBA conference, which happens every two years. I think there were about 125 people who participated um, this time online because of the pandemic, of course. So it was interesting (laughs) to do this on Zoom as we're doing everything now. Um, uh, So these are Sotos and teachers from all around the country. Actually, maybe 15-20% of them are. Associate members, some of you here are Um, so uh, priests in training um, uh, who may become teachers. Um, So, um, one of the focuses of this meeting was how to respond to the situation now in our world of um, the the problem of racism and the issue of uh, police, brutal police murders of black people and and the whole issue of racism and uh, how do we respond as clergy as well as how to respond uh, as clergy during COVID and what is the current, you know, what is our responsibility and in terms of bodhisattva values and precepts. So, you know, one of the points is that Right now, our society uh, doesn't seem to have a moral center doesn't seem to have uh, a clear clear moral values. This is not a matter of politics; this is a matter of how do we um, see what our values are so uh, in that context, uh, for us um, The Bodhisattva Precepts is one clear guideline to how to uh, see Bodhisattva values, see decent values that we might think of in terms of our life with the people around us, and in terms of thinking about how to what is appropriate response uh, in the situation we find ourselves in in the world, in the in the pandemic in the situation of um, the more widespread exposure of the systemic racism that's been around 400 years, but now is very apparent in the pandemic of climate chaos, uh, which is very clear now that the fires raging through the West coast and hurricanes in the Gulf coast and uh, storms, in the Midwest and so forth. Um, so how do we represent as Buddhists um, uh, basic values, basic, a basic moral center? How, and then how do we apply that in our everyday activities, in our everyday relationships, in our, the situation we're in, in our lives, in our everyday lives in the world? So this is the issue. And so I mentioned... Um, Dogen and my teacher Tension Rev Anderson in terms of emphasizing precepts and Tension. Um, I'm I'm uh, grateful to be attending weekly senior seminars with Tension. Uh, I used to attend before I moved to Chicago in 2007, and now thanks to Zoom, I'm attending them every week as well. And um, he mentioned in the last one something I didn't know, which is that Suzuki Roshi in his last year also talked about Bodhisattva precepts. Uh, So um, I hadn't known that, and um, I consulted David Chadwick, um, who has done, done a wonderful job of producing an archive of all of Suzuki Roshi's teachings so you can find it through cuke.com david's website and uh, david directed me to uh his uh, suzuki Roshi's talks about precepts um in 1971 and uh so i i've printed out several of them and have been looking at them and i wanted to share some of them with you so a few things to say about that first though uh Suzuki Roshi was talking to American Zen students 50 years ago, in 1971. Now, whether or not American Zen has developed since then, and what what development might mean in that sense, um, is a whole other question. But uh, certainly, there have been a lot of uh, a lot of us Americans who, we Americans, whatever, uh, who have practiced a lot since then, for numbers of years. So, uh, you know, how Suzuki Roshi was talking then um, may be different than how he, he would talk if he were around today, at, at any rate. Um, um, just to say that, and the other thing is, these are, these are talks from June and July of 1971. And I'm not sure of this, but I believe that Suki Roshi had already been diagnosed with stomach cancer by then. So these were talks he gave at San Francisco Zen Center, Page Street. And um, so I'm not sure exactly when the diagnosis was, but it might have been before this. He passed away uh, at the very, very beginning, I think at the first bell of Rohatsu Seshin. December 1971, and in these talks, mostly Suzuki Roshi, he mentions the sixteen, but he mostly talks about the first three, taking refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. If he had lived longer, he might have continued and talked about more about all sixteen of the precepts. So we don't know. Anyway, okay. So I want to share uh, some about from from these three talks, these four of these these four talks. Uh, So I'm just going to share some of the things that Suzuki Roshi said. Uh, The first talk, uh, and I don't know if these are Suzuki Roshi's titles or maybe David's or the compilers afterwards, Precepts as Original Nature, he says some very interesting things. Um, So I'm just going to read some excerpts. The precepts are something which everyone has as his own nature. The precepts were not decided by Buddha. Originally, the precepts were what makes... Buddha, Buddha. Because of the precepts, he became Buddha. So the precepts were first, and Buddha appeared next. Before Buddha appeared, there were precepts. And before Bodhidharma came to China, there were precepts. So before anyone comes to this one world, there are precepts. So this is a very strong statement, that the
1: precepts, the Bodhisattva precepts, preceded Buddha. This is what Suzuki Roshi says. He says, everyone has the precepts in their true sense.
2: Um, That's a really remarkable statement. So this was Suzuki Roshi's understanding. Um, And he also says in that in his first talk,
1: which was in June of 1971. Um, It is difficult to accept just one precept, which is the source of all precepts. It is not possible
2: to accept precepts with your mind only, theoretically. So physical practice should follow if you come to the point where you should
1: preserve the precepts one by one, then you will see what the true meaning of the precepts is. So, he's emphasizing that the precepts are not something that you have to figure out to think about, or they're not intellectual. Uh, The precepts are uh, something that we practice physically. It's not something
2: to Figure out what they mean. The precepts are something we enact physically with our bodies in practice. So, again, he says the precepts were before Buddha. The precepts are what made Buddha Buddha. It's how Buddha became Buddha. And uh, as in our practice, and this is something Suki Roshi emphasizes, and it's something that is very true. This is not a theoretical practice. Uh, this is not something that we study intellectually or abstractly. This is a practice that we enact. The um, zazen, This is a practice about zazen, about physical. The practice we just did, physically sitting upright, and then when we get off, when we get up from our cushion, how do we physically express this practice in the world, in our everyday activity, in our responses to. Situation of the world, so this this is not theoretical. These sixteen precepts. So this is a, a major point that Suturu makes. So I may come back to that first talk, but I want to talk especially about this
1: second talk, July second, nineteen seventy one, um, and uh, it, it's titled "Real Precepts Are Beyond Words." So again, I'm just going to. I'll give you some some excerpts from it. Um,
2: He says, the way we observe precepts is by practicing Zazen, or practicing Zen, by extending our practice to our daily life. If you think the meaning of the precepts is just to observe various rules, your understanding is very far away from the true understanding of the real precepts. The first of the 16 precepts we observe is, how can I say it? The one reality which is, which cannot be divided into three or 16 it is the precept of one reality. This is very important. So in some sense, all the precepts come from the first precept, which is to take refuge in Buddha. Just taking refuge in Buddha, just returning home to Buddha, just uh, sitting upright... In whatever way our bodies can sit upright, sitting like Buddha, we return home to Buddha. This basic question, what is Buddha? What is reality?
1: So all the other precepts are about how do we um, express Buddha?
2: So in all of our other, you know, in following all of the other precepts,
1: um, The point is um, to come back, to feel Buddha,
2: to feel what is Buddha in each of these situations, in each of these questions. What does it mean to not intoxicate mind or body self or other? Well,
1: we come back to Buddha. And in all of the other situations, um, how do we not praise self at the expense of others? We come back to Buddha.
2: So so in all of our attempts to find appropriate response to the problems in our own life and in the world, the question is, what is reality? What is Buddha? And so no matter how we engage in skillful means in trying to take care of our life expression and our appropriate response to all of the difficulties of the world around us in this
1: difficult time, we have to keep coming back to turning within. So, you know, I do talk about how do we look at the world around us and and respond helpfully.
2: This is, you know, one of the main points of the precepts. How do we not cause harm? How do we help? How do we respect all beings, but we have to keep coming back to what is Buddha.
1: We have to keep coming back to Zazen, to turning within, to to returning home to Buddha. How do we see, deepen this
2: connection with Buddha? So this is what Suzuki Roshi is talking about here. The one reality which cannot be divided into three or sixteen, the preceptive
1: one reality. So he also says, just being yourself is the way you can observe
2: the precepts. It's not about trying to become something else. It's
1: about really looking into how is Buddha expressed on your seat. I'm talking about each one of you, Zika says, and myself, and about water, and about stuff.
2: When stuff is really stuff, stuff includes everything. So this isn't just about human beings. This is about (laughs) everything in the world. How do we see stuff? (laughs) This is a kind of Buddhist technical term. How do we see stuff as Buddha? (laughs) How do we see our connection to stuff? (laughs) so this is such an important point how do we see
1: uh, how do we take refuge in Buddha and see how this is all Buddha
2: so some more from this talk so excuse me for shuffling these papers but um, uh, Suzuki Roshi also said Whether your practice is good or bad, it doesn't matter. If you accept your practice as your own, then that practice includes everything.
1: At that time, you have the precepts, which include everything, as the absolute being includes everything. Then he says,
2: something which you understand is already not absolute, because your mind limits the real understanding of the absolute. So this is a basic teaching of Buddhism. Our, the limitation of our consciousness. Of course, our consciousness is wonderful. And our, you know, well, we have a Western understanding of consciousness, maybe. You know, and how con- what
1: consciousness is. But that's not everything. It's limited. That kind of practice exists, and some people practice this kind of practice. Very sincerely,
2: to just sit is much better than to see all the Buddhas in the world. (laughs) Do you understand why? The point is to know what an important practice it is
1: just to be yourself. He says nothing exists outside of the universe. All that
2: exists is within the universe. So to think that you can pick up a stone is a big delusion. Stone is still stone. You cannot do anything with it. If you understand this point and Siddhazen, that is how you receive the precepts. That is the only way to observe perfect precepts. There is no other way to observe the precepts. Let me read that part again. Nothing exists outside of the universe. All that exists is within the universe. So to think that you can pick up a stone is a big delusion. Stone is still stone. You cannot do anything with it. If you understand this point and Sitzazen, that is how you receive the precepts. That is the only way to observe perfect precepts. There's no other way to observe the precepts. So our idea of the precepts and our idea of what we can do is not the precepts.
1: Continuing with Sipirusha's talk here. Uh, He talks about not criticizing our practice or not criticizing somebody else's practice, just to do
2: your own practice. Then he says, uh, he's talking about Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha in this talk. He says the third one of the first division is Sangha. Sangha means to be harmonious. Buddha and the law of the universe are not two. When someone is practicing Zazen in oneness with Buddha and his Dharma, that is harmony.
1: It is more than harmony. It is actually one. He says, we talk about the law of karma. You cannot escape from
2: karma. Nothing can escape from karma. There's always some rule which determines how everything exists and the rules are the same for Buddha himself. When we say Buddha, Buddha acts with karma, by karma, or for karma. So karma and Buddha are the same. So again, I just want to give you a little bit of some, some little excerpts of what Suzuki Roshi said about the
1: precepts. So he's, he mentions this. He mentions about the ten precepts do not kill, do not steal, and so
2: forth. Those are ten precepts. But even, the, even though you observe the ten precepts completely, that is not how you observe our real precepts. Um,
1: to be oneself is the purpose of our practice. That's such an important statement. People come to Zen and think they need to be
2: some special other, I don't know what. <laughs> people, think, people hear the word enlightened and think they have to become some super being or whatever. So let me say it again. To be oneself is the purpose of our practice. So says, how to be oneself and how to keep the precepts, Buddha's precepts, is our point of practice. Those are the three indivisible precepts so there are different kinds of precepts which I'll get into Uh, single body precepts is another way of saying Buddha, Dharma and Sangha precepts are not just rules, they are a direct explanation of our life and Buddha's teaching and Zazen practice
1: so there's a lot in that in that talk Um, so
2: so I want to leave time for questions and discussions but I'll
1: give you a little bit more from Sigurash's talks about the precepts um, in the
2: talk from July 6th he talks about the three kinds of triple treasure the three kinds of ref- of Buddha of taking refuge uh, and uh, these are the manifested three treasures to maintain three treasures and a single body, three treasures. In this talk, he talks about the manifest of three treasures especially. Uh, So in the manifest of three treasures, Zuzuki says, right now we have temples and in the temples we have Buddhas, big or small, bronze or gold or or wooden Buddha images. Well, actually now in the pandemic, we don't have temples, we have Zoom. So this is our temple. (laughs) Um, um, So those images are Buddhas for us, Sikirashi says. And we have many scriptures bound up somewhere, sometimes in the library. We call them dharma. And sangha is priests and laypeople. Those are the three treasures which maintain Buddha and Buddhism as a religion. They are called the maintained three treasures. Uh, but, I, but, it, but I want to talk about the manifested three treasures, Sikirashi says. Um, They are not different, but the difference between the single body Three Treasures and the manifested Three Treasures is that Buddhism, which was told by Buddha, is the manifested Three Treasures. Buddhism, which was told by Buddha, is the manifested Three Treasures. And Buddhism, which exists even before Buddha, is the single body Three Treasures. After Buddha, you can say that is this is Buddha and this is the teaching which was taught by Buddha or the or Dharma, and this is Buddha's Sangha, which includes priests, lay people, and and so forth. We can tell by our eye which is Buddha, which is Dharma, and which is Sangha. But with a single body, three treasures, we cannot say this is Dharma, that is Buddha, or this is Sangha. That's the difference. For us, it is very important to figure out the difference between Buddhism, which was told by Buddha, and Buddhism, which actually exists, whether Buddha
1: came out on this road or not. Um, it goes on... Um, and he talks about emptiness and
2: this is interesting and I think he's talking here about
1: the single body three treasures um If you think you can figure out
2: what emptiness is, that is not emptiness. It is somethingness, some idea of something. How you can tell what emptiness is, is to have a full understanding of mountains or rivers or each one of us, or what a stone is, or what a cat is, what a dog is. When you actually know what a dog is and what a cat is, you will know yourself. Only when you know yourself will you fully understand what a mountain, a dog, or a cat is. And you will understand that a cat is not just a cat. A cat is you too. You are a cat at the same time. You are a dog. And if you think it is ridiculous for you to be a dog, then that is usual understanding. It is not single body truth. That is why we must actually have practice. Unless we have practice, we cannot reach this core of the teaching. Only when we can be satisfied with ourselves and with what we have and how we are,
1: will we have complete freedom from everything. That is how we have complete renunciation. A completely qualified Buddha, just because they
2: need a little bit more, cannot be a Buddha. How silly we are if we really know ourselves how silly we are if we really know ourselves. This is
1: the point we do not notice. So he's talking about taking refuge in Buddha here. Buddha's
2: enlightenment was just to be himself. And when he became himself, he found everyone was a Buddha, and everything was Buddha. When he just knew who he was, then everyone was Buddha. Everyone is Buddha. That is how he attained enlightenment. And his teaching is actually to let everyone know we cannot be a Buddha. So his teaching is about our human nature. That is why we say, if you study Buddhism, you will be a good human being. And when you know Your bad points, you also know you were originally Buddha. It's the same thing. At least if you listen to his teaching, you will know you have suffering as a human being. And that is how you can be free from suffering. The same teaching will work in two ways. But actually, he was talking about himself as a person who was born at a certain time, at a certain place. If so, what is Buddhism? Where is Buddhism? Buddhism is each one's nature, each one's own nature. In this sense, each one's own nature is called Buddha nature, because Buddhism is about how a Buddha loses himself and how a Buddha stays himself. So it is all about each one of us. There is no need to recite sutras in the true sense, but it will help anyway. You should pay homage to yourself, which means to pay homage to Buddha and to the Dharma. That's the structure of Buddhism. And just a little bit from the last talk, uh, and then we can have some discussion and questions. And I'm guessing that you probably have some questions. And I'm guessing that I can't, that I won't have good answers to all your questions, and that's okay. Um, So he talks about, um, in the last talk, he, he talked about the, why it's necessary to accept perception. He talks about the three kinds of triple treasures, the single body, triple treasure, um, and then the, uh, which is, he says, to accept things as it is. We do not try to think about things just with our minds, but before we think, we accept things. Then he talks about the manifested three treasures, um, which are the three treasures which were realized by the Buddha, When Buddha found out the truth, he himself became Buddha. This is the manifested three treasures. Uh, Just a few other things here. Then he mentions the maintained Buddha Buddha triple treasure.
1: Um, So I'm just going
2: to, just a few bits from this. It is necessary to remain very common. In order to remain very common and usual, you accept the precepts. So the precepts aren't about becoming special or some special kind of Buddha being or whatever. It's about being yourself. The three treasures, after all, are about yourselves and about your practice, the pure practice of Zazen, he
1: says. So maybe that's enough.
2: Um, so again these are uh, a little bit of Suzuki Roshi's um, teachings about um, well I'll tell one story um, if I can find it Yeah, Uh, I'll tell one one story in closing. And this is a story about a great uh, teacher who was um, one of Suzuki Roshi's teachers. Uh, And this is a story about, this teacher's named Oka Sota, and he was one of, he wrote about the precepts, and he was a very important teacher for our lineage of Suzuki Roshi and for... um, For Suzuki Roshi and, and and for Soto Zen. And he was he was in the beginning of the 20th century, and a lot of important 20th century Soto teachers studied with him. But this is a story about Okusotan when he was just a, a young boy.
1: Uh, and this is a
2: story about Okusotan and the precepts. So I'll just read it. When Okasotan Roshi was a young boy, his teacher, Token Roshi, told him to buy some tofu. He went to the store. On the way, he saw a picture advertising an acrobatic theater. While he was standing looking at the various pictures in front of the building, he heard the bell of his own temple. It was the signal for mealtime. He was supposed to come back to the temple with the tofu and finish finish cooking it before mealtime, but he had been looking at the picture for such a long time without knowing what time it was. Hearing the bell, he noticed what his duty was. He dashed into the store. Give me tofu, he said. As soon as the old man gave it to him, he dashed back. But on the way back, he noticed that he had left his hat in the store. So he ran back again. Give me, give me. And the old woman at the store said, what? Give me. He meant his hat. But his mind was so busy that the word hat didn't come out. Give me, give me. What, what, what? And at last he he could say, my hat. Oh, your hat is on your head. What's the matter with you? And again, he went back to his temple with his hat. That's the story. Precepts are something like his hat, Sikiroshi says. The precepts are always on your head. Because he wanted to say hat or precepts, it didn't work. If he always has his hat, then there is no need to think about it. That is actually how we should keep the precepts, Sikhi says. So we put emphasis on actual practice or Zazen, how to be concentrated on what we do, moment after moment. During Sashin, I talked about Shikantasa. I feel I haven't met you for such a long time. Most of you were sitting for the five days, but I feel I am seeing some of you for the first time. But actually, I was making our practice, what Shikantasa is, clear. In in short, shikantaza is to live each moment. Shikantaza is how we are just sitting, is how we live in each moment. Um, And then later in the talk, Kazuki Roshi talks more about Okasotan. He says, um, the most important thing is this practice of sincerity. You may laugh at what Okasotan Roshi did, when he was a boy, but he was a good priest. Even though he was so small, he was very good. He had to be scolded by his master when he came back to his temple, you know. They had to wait maybe another 30 minutes
1: before they ate, so he had to be scolded. But even though he was scolded,
2: he was a good boy. There is no question about that point. You cannot say he wasn't observing the precepts. He faithfully observed the precepts. And he always kept his hat on his head. This time he forgot about his hat. That's all. So, that's a story about Okasuton and the precepts. Okay, comments, questions, responses. Uh, feel free. Um, if you, if I can call on you, if you raise your hand, if you. Um, are not visible. You can raise your hand in the uh, participants box and maybe David, you can help me call on people there. So um, who has a question or comment or response? Joanne. Hi. Unmuted.
0: Okay. There we go. So that was a lot.
2: (laughs) Yes, it was. (laughs) But it was all, it was all about taking refuge in Buddha.
0: I'm trying to digest, but what came for me was how amazing some of these teachings are and some of the teachers, and I would like to explore more and knowing about the website that you mentioned, and I did actually um, listen to your interview by the owner of the website that you mentioned, Kuk, Kuk, Kuk.
2: Cute.com, David Chadwick, who's done a wonderful job.
0: K-U-K-E.com.
2: C-U-K-E.com. And that goes back to David Chadwick's wonderful biography of Suzuki Roshi called Crooked Cucumber. I recommend it.
0: Ah. Well, so um, inspiration for me. Thank you. You're welcome.
2: Other questions, comments, responses, anything?
3: Again, I see Brian's hand up. Brian, hello.
4: Hello. Um, This business of just be yourself and then living the precepts will be natural. Um, One of the things that came to mind was the advisors to Donald Trump, who are sometimes troubled by what he says, and other advisors who say to them, don't worry, let Trump be Trump. Um, and that quote uh, that's often used, just be yourself is the worst advice you can give to some people. Uh, <laughs> and so the question for me is, Is what does it mean to be oneself in a way that naturally keeps the precepts? Um, in Christianity, St. Augustine uh, said in a sermon love and then do what you will because out of love only good comes. Um, but how is this uh, understood in Zen?
2: Well, Suki Roshi says you have to practice Asan. You need to practice. You need to sit and take refuge in Buddha. So when you take refuge in Buddha, be yourself. So this is about how we practice. So it's a, so, it's important to keep turning, coming back to turning within, taking refuge in Buddha. It doesn't mean become Buddha. It doesn't mean uh, look at some special being. It means be yourself, but keep. Uh, you know, I, uh, I don't know what would happen if Donald Trump, set, uh, to mention the name that you mentioned, uh, if he sat in every day, or if he did sashin. I don't think he, I I don't know, uh, from what I understand from hearing all this stuff about this person, um, he's not so self-reflective anyway. uh, You have to keep turning within. This is the point of the first precept. And all 16, all 16 are important. Each one of the 16 is important. Each one of the 16 is a huge koan for expressing what it means to be yourself, so what it means to be yourself is practice. This is not some idea of being yourself. It's about how do we breathe and sit upright and face the wall and turn within and allow Buddha to be yourself, which is just yourself. So that's, that's what Sukhiroshi Roshi is talking about. So that's one way to respond to what you, to your question. Did I see Paul's hand up? Thank you. Yes.
4: Oh, there we are. Um, um, well, I remember one thing from that time was that he said, when a teacher is dying, he teach, teaches best. Yes. I was... I was in, but he'd sent me to Japan by that time. But I remember hearing that 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 refrain, and I'm sorry that I missed that period. Um, but uh, it, it's it's <laughs> I'm not sure we're supposed to say it, but anyway, but it's it's the idea is if you're being yourself, you're being yourself as 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 a your true self, and your true self is that you are not separate from Donald Trump or from anybody else. The empathy that there's an empathy that runs between you and all things, and I think some people like Donald Trump have difficulty finding that empathy with other people. So for for us, it's it's being our true self when we don't see ourselves as separate. Um, anyway. It's not so easy to do, and I certainly fail at it constantly. But I always keep it in mind.
2: Thank you, Paul. Yes, Suki Rishi talks about stuff, and how we're not separate from stuff. And he talks about cats and dogs and mountains <laughs> as us, and us as yeah.
4: But, yeah I, he, he puts it so beautifully. I just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just flabbergasted every time he turns something philosophical and then and, and then runs it into cats and dogs it's, it's uh, quite wonderful
2: <clears throat> yeah and he and he makes the point it's not philosophical it's practical it's in your body it's 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 it's, it's, it's not theoretical it, it's so hard for us i think maybe it's harder for the western mind i don't know western or japanese anyway it's it's physical it's practical it's how do we express this in our bodies in are mountain bodies and cat bodies and dog bodies and and with stuff. (laughs) So, yes, and the thing you said about uh, that, Tsukiroshi said, teachers teach best when they're dying. And it's interesting that when he was dying, he came back to the Bodhisattva precepts. (laughs) Other comments, questions, responses, please. Again,
3: I see David Weiner's hand and then Eileen's hand. Okay. Um, Yeah, David, go ahead, if you could, please. One quick question. I had trouble with my audio. Um, The website is cuke.com? Yes, that's it. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, I wasn't going to say anything, but in response to what Paul said just now, um, I think Japanese society is so... uh, different from western society we're the ones of individuals and you know it's our individual being that's important and and from my experience of having lived in japan it's always about relationships Uh, they always say ningen kanke human relations and so there's a tendency to take a look to be outside yourself and to be in relationship with other people is what's important and i think that's maybe part of uh the problem that we in the west have because we're thinking so much about ourselves rather than in ourselves in relationship it's just a thought
2: yes thank you david and that relates to the third of the triple treasure sangha that we are in relationship with various sanghas. so uh, thank you eileen
5: i um i say this carefully (laughs) Uh, this whole, I mean, I, I just almost fell off my couch. Precepts came first, then Buddha. And I don't, I I don't, but it's, that just sort of said, well, I, I can't paraphrase that. I, I think that there's a, how do we respond to racism? How do we respond to all of this, uh, lack of communication really, right? All this discordance between human beings and, uh, lack of attention to reality and, um, and everyone thinking they know the answer. Everyone's got their little thing, you know. Um, and and I, think, I, think this, I think the answer is sort of, because I know everything, I think the answer kind of lies right there. And I'm remembering years ago a friend, oh, I was taking, frankly, a hiatus from psychotherapy. I just had enough for a while. And I thought that that was actually a healthy thing to do. And she had just gotten therapy. She'd been a long time uh, she was a who? She was a serious Tibetan practitioner for many, many years, um, and some other things. Um, and just furious at me that no psychotherapy is the answer. Psychotherapy is the answer. Said so, no, it's not right for me now. I get it. It's good stuff, but it's all um, it all came. And I remember thinking it all comes from the same place. It's all these different philosophies, different things, and they're all addressing the same thing um, in, a, in a different way, in a different language, a different cultural language. And it, the, the knowledge came first. The reality came first. And then all of these things are trying to figure it out. <laughs> um, I happen to think Buddhism does a really good job, a better job than most, because of, because of things like that. Precepts came first than Buddha. So, a really through me and I I want to think about that a lot more so thank you yes good thank you yeah uh,
2: that's that's wonderful and and part of um, part of the point is that Buddhism does not have the answers Buddhism has the questions (laughs) maybe (laughs) And you know, I don 't even know if Buddhism has the right questions, but Buddhism has questions that foment more questions, so that's what it means that before Buddha was the precepts taking refuge in Buddha is to turn towards uh, we're willing to listen to everybody, and there's not one right answer because the world is alive because there's dogs and cats and mountains and Taking refuge in Buddha means, you know, um, I mean, Suki Roshi is Suki Roshi. Suki Roshi is a mountain. Dogen is a mountain. You know, the Buddha was a mountain, but he was also a dog and a cat. (laughs) And um, so we turn to the precepts as a way of uh, seeing that reality is changing and that that reality doesn't change. And so, yeah, okay, how do we use these tools, these view, these perspectives to not get caught by some particular answer, some particular strategy? How do we help find some moral center, some value with which to respond to all the pandemics, all the problems in our world now. Not that we have the answers how to fix them, but that we can respond, that we can try and be helpful, that we can listen to all the suffering of, you know, Black people who are under attack and have been under attack for 400 years, but now we see it more clearly. But lots of other people too, who are lots of other beings. The mountains and streams are under attack. The forests are under attack. How do we listen and, and then respond helpfully when we think we see something to be helpful with? I don't have the answers. Tsukiroshi doesn't have the answers, but Tsukiroshi points us to something. So um, to think you we have the answer, or that there is one answer, or that there is one reality,
1: gets in the way. It's about,
2: you know, uh,
1: just feeling
2: it in our body. I don't know. I don't have the answer. But if some of you have, if, some, if some, maybe somebody here has the answer, and if you do, please let us know. Or if you have a good question, that's, that's okay too. So other comments or questions or responses? Yes, Juan Pablo
6: hi uh thank you so much for the talk and for sharing the the thinking of Suzuki roshi it was uh, there's a lot of things I think they're philosophically talking and um one thing that i was uh thinking um for him or for for you think for Buddhism the precepts are part of reality like it it's the way the universe is a structure or something like that, because sometimes we think ethics or precepts are, or attitude towards the world. But um, I was thinking that maybe precepts are inscribed in the very structure of the world. So what do you think about that?
2: Yeah, that seems to be what Tsukiroshi is saying at one point Mm. that, that, Basic ethical values are more fundamental than um, our ideas about reality.
1: Uh, that, I, I think that's worth trying on. I think that's I
2: think that's what Suzuki says at one point.
1: Hmm.
2: And, and and then and then how do we apply that to sharing? Ah, decent moral values in our in our society that really needs it, and mm-hmm. and and it's not about some particular religion or some particular political party or any of that. It's it's about our ideology. It's not about ideologies. It's about how do how do we how do we be kind, as the Dalai Lama says. How do we mm-hmm. how are ways? What are the ways to be uh, caring? And how do we express that and share that in the world and encourage that?
6: And the other thing I was thinking is that 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 beautiful story of the hat, you know? And uh it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And uh and it relates to me uh to a Koan that says Ordin- ordinary mind is the Tao. It's so ordinary that he cannot see it, no? Like like Yes. Yeah. It's it's normal. It's not some. It's not. It's like an antidote to a righteousness attitude. You know. I think something like that.
2: Yeah. It's 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 always right here. Buddha is not somewhere else. The precepts are not somewhere else.
1: Yeah.
2: It's not that we have to. What does Mary Oliver say? You don't have to crawl barefoot through the desert 40 miles on your knees. It's just, uh, yeah, it's always right here.
1: So that's why we need to practice. (laughs) Fushin. You need, you're not, you're you're muted, I think.
7: There are a lot of little like icons and sometimes I don't know which one to press. Okay. Um, so, I feel very cautious around the words morality and values. Okay. Because it's so easy to get tied up with what morality means and what values mean, and we become almost immediately dualistic. And I remember from the Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, Suzuki Rosh said something like, you know, if you become dualistic, you'll lose all precepts. So when we use this word morality or ethics or values, you know, again, the stress on Zazen and realizing that we're not disconnected so we can't make choices like that. We do express ourselves in this way and that way. But to make choices in terms of a moral structure or a value structure or an ethical structure, it's very, very dangerous. So i just like us to consider that.
2: Thank you. Yeah, good point. I think our tendency... Uh, maybe in this country, or maybe it's a Western thing, or I don't know if it's a Judeo-Christian thing, or I don't know what. But anyway, if one sets up some code of moral, some moral structure, it's like that's not what the Buddhist precepts are, and that's the that's part of the part of what Suki Roshi is trying to say. If we set up some moral code and try and impose it on others. <laughs> that's created so, much, so many problems. If we think we have the right moral code, and you have to follow that, that's the opposite of what I'm trying to talk about, or what Suzuki Roshi is trying to talk about. Um, so, the, pre, the, the, the bodhisattva precepts is not some moral code that you have to follow. They're questions. <laughs> they're they're suggestions or maybe guidelines, but they're not they're not some Rules. In some of those talks, I didn't read this part, but he talks about rules and how it's not about following rules in some strict way. Uh, so, yeah, I, that's a very important point. So, thank you for that.
7: Uh, he also uh, says there must also be rules. He says that there have yeah. to be some.
2: But then, how do we how how do we see them? So, the rules are not like moral rules. They're just like. Like the form, so like I I don't know if every if uh, so we just try to establish a, uh, a, a I don't know I don't know if I want to use the word rule, but a kind of guideline for how to do zoom zazen here, so that when you first appear on the screen or enter into, some people are not visible, but when you first appear to bow to the to the screen um this is like entering the zendo in our old zendo and then during zazen not during dharma talk to not face directly towards the screen unless you're the host or a teacher but just to face to the side or away from the screen or maybe three quarters so uh, we just we've just started talking about that the last couple of weeks so just to, i'll just mention that so this is you could say that's a rule but these are just ritual ways of Harmonizing. This is about sangha. It's not about uh, some moral rule. It's not like you're bad if you if you don't do that. It's just how do we harmonize together. So that's the kind of rule that we have to follow. But thank you for that. For you know, this is an important point. Um, maybe we have time for one more comment, Paul.
4: Um, I think the rules are something very difficult for us to, to understand, and the because we have this idea that the rules are right and wrong, and there that the rules the rules of Zen training is are just guideposts to to judge yourself by. It's more like the hoop on a basketball court. If you if you throw the ball and it doesn't go in the hoop, it doesn't mean that you're bad. It just means that you haven't practiced enough. And it, and then you see, oh, I need to practice more in that department. If you if you don't come when the bell rings, you say, oh, I guess I have a I guess I'm feeling kind of lazy. I guess you, know, you learn something about yourself by the rules. Give you a signpost to learn something about yourself. It's not it's not something that you could be bad at or 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 make a mistake at or even be uh, immoral about. It's just some, just a way of learning about ourselves. Without without any rules, you don't learn about yourself because you don't bump into anything. It's just you're in the void. So rules are important, but not from a moralistic point of view, not from a from a judgmental point of view.
2: Thank you, Paul. And that, a basic point: when I'm talking about values or morals or uh, moral center, I'm not talking about. We're not from a Buddhist point of view, to put it that way. We're not talking about good or bad. We're not talking about right or wrong. Uh, what the, the assessment is: what is helpful and what is harmful. So to do what is helpful, to do what is harmful. It's not right or wrong. It's not good or bad. That's a key point. Thank you. Um, if, uh, so, um, Joanne, do last point. Last last last. Point.
0: Well, I keep thinking about Mother Nature and the principles of nature and how, you know, we've been talking about interconnect, interconnection a lot today, in my opinion, and um, uh, um, we have the desire to know. We always have the desire to know, but can we really know? And does it matter when we know? We place so much importance on our abilities <coughs> and our... Intelligence and yet, what we're hearing from Suzuki Roshi is just get back on the cushion and be yourself. Um, You know, we're there's my concern is there's some arrogance and always wanting to know, to know, to know, to explain things, to intellectualize about things. And I love the just go back to the cushion and be who you are, be a human being. Be a human being and learn what it is to be a human being that fits in with the natural cycles of life and the flow of energy of life and to be honoring that and to be aware of that and to appreciate that. That's all I have to say.
2: Thank you. Very well said. And, you know, I've, uh, that's a whole Dharma talk. I've given yeah. talk, talks on, on that and the whole idea of knowing and understanding. Uh, we have we uh, we have a particular understanding, maybe from Western culture of what understanding is um, but uh that's part of what uh, Tsukiroshi and Dogen and a lot of Zen is about um, undercutting our usual understanding of understanding so uh it's not. Theoretical. It's not linear. It's not there's a, a logic of uh, awakeness that's not um, about. It's it's like what is the understanding of mountains and trees? What is the understanding of stuff? What is co- what is consciousness that is not just the consciousness of subject verb object? And anyway, there's a whole you know I've given whole Dharma talks about this, but yeah, when we're sitting there's the physical understanding in our knees or in our shoulders or in our stomach. And that's, so anyway, uh, thank you for that, Joanne. So uh, thank you all very much. Thank you to Suzuki Roshi for helping us uh, with the precepts. And uh, uh, so we can
1: um, have our closing chant. Thank you, Dave.